Hello and welcome to Dab Without Borders, a podcast about the messiness of modern day dadding and the challenge of long distance parenting. My name is Blue and I am a Dab Without Borders. Hello and welcome to Dab Without Borders and today I am talking to Emily Cherkin who is a screen time consultant. So screentimeconsultant.com is her website and she has been i'm just going to look up uh her website here because she has a free webinar coming up which is pretty great so she is the screentimeconsultant.com and she's been on good morning america she's been in the new york times the washington post she's been on the today show and she is the go-to for anyone who wants to find out how to become a tech intentional parent and she's offering a free webinar uh, with the top three tech intentional parenting tips. There's two dates, September the 1st, September the 6th, and the time of each webinar is 12 to 1 o'clock, uh, and that's PST, so Pacific Coastal Time. So 12 o'clock Pacific Coastal Time on either September the 1st or September the 6th. You can register for free for that webinar, and you can go to her website, thescreentimeconsultant.com. Um, she's fab she's really great good conversation Um, I love her energy around this issue of screen time with our kids and with ourselves and it yeah this conversation brought up some really interesting um, points around this and something that I will mention before you listen to this conversation is that we have actually reduced screen time in the mornings just for the last few days and what was happening in the morning we were watching cartoons first thing in the morning before breakfast because typically he's been getting up before six o'clock. But as he's waking up now a little bit later, there just is less need really to put cartoons on. And his behavior has improved dramatic. Well, maybe not dramatically, but he's way easier to manage in the mornings. And so the morning routine, uh, everything moves faster. It seems to be much easier to get everything ready and to leave the house in the morning if that's what we're doing. If it's a daycare day, if I have to leave to go to work, then yeah, it's so much easier. So that's one thing that we've changed. Very simple, no cartoons in the morning, um, no screen time in the morning. And then at the end of the day, if he's tired after daycare or it's the weekend and maybe it's a rainy day and we just wanna have some chill time, then we have the option of putting on a cartoon, maybe watching a fat, what we call a family movie, um, and having some pizza. And we don't feel bad about that um, because ultimately then it really is a treat. It's not a daily occurrence. Certainly the way that we manage screen time for our family is really important. So as ever, please enjoy. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Sure. I'm stoked to, uh, to have another conversation. So for any listeners that are listening, and I am recording already, because um, why not? Just jump in. Right. Um, but yeah, so we did a podcast. Not, uh, so I've never mentioned this yet, but it's the 21st century teacher. So if there's any teachers or parents listening that are interested in educational, more educational kind of based 
conversations. They're slightly shorter. They're like 25 minutes, 30 minutes. But yeah, so we've had a chat on that show. So listeners can go there. Hopefully, we've already talked about slightly different things anyway. Uh, so hopefully, it'll be a little different. Um, but yeah, so it's great to reconnect again. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's, um, well, let's just start with, if you could introduce yourself in terms of like, you're a screen time consultant. So if you just give us yeah. a quick, like, what is that? Yeah, I'm the screen time consultant. <laughs> when I picked my, my domain name, I was like, well, that one's available. And then I'll figure out what, what that means. But it actually has been perfect because it's exactly what I do. I have a, my name is Emily Churkin. I have a teaching background. So I did spend 12 years teaching middle school. Um, and then I, you know, I had the opportunity to teach at a time when technology was dramatically changing and very quickly. And so I really witnessed the shift in my students between no tech, no screens, no social media, no phones to the absolute opposite in the 12 years I was in the classroom. And so it helped me see that this is a parenting challenge and not a kid problem. Um, and I consult with families. I do school presentations. I can do professional development, workshop training. Um, I write. I'm an activist. I do a lot. This is my, this is my jam. <laughs> right. And um, so as a screen time consultant, what, what's the biggest issue that parent, like such an obvious question maybe, but what's yeah. the biggest issue that parents are facing with screen time? You know, Oh, man, I think right now, post sort of remote learning, work from home, pandemic life, everyone is using screens more than they were before. So even parents who wanted or had like limits and controls in place, it's all gone out the window. And what I'm hearing over and over again is actually how much families feel like this excessive tech has really damaged family relationships. And that's not something I would have said even a year ago. I think it has, it's made me very angry, <laughs> um, mostly directed at the tech companies in part because again, of how these products are designed. And the fact that it used to be, you know, school was the one place kids didn't spend a whole lot of time on screens. And the opposite is really true. I mean, I'm generalizing, but after remote learning, and then after the fact that you know, schools have spent a lot of money on tech for remote learning or, you know, helping kids stay quote unquote caught up. Um, I'm just seeing a lot of that. They're not going to walk away. And so I think for right now, that's really what I, is on my radar is this like the decaying fabric of family relationships. And that sounds horrible, but I think it's true. I think it's yeah. happening. I think you're right. I think so far, uh, I'm interested to hear what your advice or thoughts are on how to tackle that. Because, but first of all, a good place for us to not have phones um, is around the dinner table. That's the one yeah. place where I will get caught out and reprimanded by my wife. Uh, she's not as bad every now and again, she will, but it's because I've just asked her a question about something. So she's going to the phone to get an answer, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we're really mindful around that, like the dinner table for the one place. Um, That's great. Yeah. What are your thoughts around, like, how do you manage that? Because yeah, when kids are into gaming, being one, you know, one example, um, 
it's pretty addictive. Like I can see a lot of like friction happening, just trying to get the kids off. So what do we do about that? Well, gaming is addictive, but so is social media. So is Twitter scrolling. So is even the way, you know, um, Netflix is designed to autoplay. Those are all forms of design that keep us on longer. So addiction is kind of one of those buzzy words and it can be very serious. I don't mean to diminish it. I think the problem is that we as adults struggle with our own use. And so while I get angry at the tech companies for the product design, parents do still have responsibilities here. And I love your example of the dinner table. My advice usually to families is to start small and do the low hanging fruit first. You know, if the dinner table is an easy one, great. No phones at the dinner table, that's for everybody in the family. When kids call us out on it, we get to say, oops, you're right, thank you. Um, but you know, even broader, and, and we may have talked about this before, is this idea of living your life out loud, which is something I really talk to families about all the time. And it's essentially just narrating what you do as you do it when it comes to using your devices. So that you know, if it is your wife's asked you a question, you say, okay, I'm reaching for my phone. I'm gonna look up and see what the calendar says. And then I'm going to put it back down because remember, in our family, we don't use phones at the dinner table. And that was me explaining how I use it as a tool in that moment, right? So I think a bunch of this is about awareness on the parents' part. And it, it's very interesting to me because I would love to talk to parents of kids like under 10 years old. That to me is my prime market, right? Is parents who, who want to get a handle on the screen time thing before it gets out of control. And Unfortunately, or the reality is, I get parents who call me and email me with their kids being older than 10. And every single one of them says, I wish I had known this earlier. I wish I had delayed access. I wish I had set limits earlier. All of, no one has ever said to me, oh, I wish they'd had Instagram at a younger age. It's the opposite. And so now my challenge and hope is to bridge that. How do I help give that message to those parents of younger kids who don't know yet what it's gonna be like when that smartphone appears, you know, under the Christmas tree or for a birthday gift. Delayed access, I think makes a lot of sense. So what does delayed access look like? Cause I feel like there's a lot of pressure. Even my kid already, who is uh -huh. eight and a half is talking about, you know, this friend that has one or this friend's brother that has one and his expectation of, well, when I'm nine, I'll probably have one. Or when I'm 12, I'll have one. Like there's a lot of peer pressure. So how yes. do we tackle, like, what do you think? Or what would your advice be on when do they have access to a phone? For example, let's start there. Yeah, that's a really good question. And every year it gets younger and younger. Um, a couple, I think it was 2019. It was one in five, eight-year-olds had their own smartphone. So 20% of eight-year-olds. I'm sure that's higher now post pandemic. Um, I had a colleague tell me once when he was a school administrator, when parents asked, when should I get my kid a smartphone? He said, when you're ready for them to see pornography. And that usually makes parents go, oh. That's strong. Yeah. And the reality is it's porn for sure. It's out there. I mean, it's, it's unavoidable. And we can talk about my challenge with parental controls and filters because, you know, stuff gets through regardless of what you use. But that's one piece of it. Um, and, and I'm not saying I'm not concerned about that. My bigger concern is the displacement of skills and relationship building opportunities that happen offline and can only happen offline. 
So, you know, it's one thing to use a phone to maintain an existing connection. It's entirely another to use it to build a connection when you're a child. I mean, you know, as an adult, yes, I've connected professionally with people I haven't physically met, but that's very different when you're 10 or eight. And so I hear this a lot and I really empathize with parents who feel like I'm the only parent who doesn't give my kid X, Y, or Z and every other kid has it. And I do want to just stop and remind parents that when we were teenagers, we said the exact same thing to our parents about so-and-so has this brand name shoe or so-and-so gets to stay out later than I do. And that is not different. That has always been the same. But the problem is these devices are so compelling and we're getting additional pressure from schools, not just for homework, you know, not just that kids have to look stuff up online, but for example, things like sports teams or after school activities are using social media to plan and communicate with their teams. Well, there's a bunch of issues with that. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast just about that, but that puts more pressure than on families to give in or to give the device earlier or even the social media access. So it's, there's layers here too, right? It's not it, one thing to give a phone. It's another to allow social media access. And unless you have a really great communication system and a trusting relationship with your kid, they're entering puberty and their whole thing about puberty is testing limits. So giving them unlimited access to the internet, that's a big pasture for them to be roaming in and may not be the best first step for young yeah. people. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it came up for me in the last couple of weeks or yeah, just recently. Anyway, I was talking to my kids. So I have an eight and a half year old that I think most listeners that come back regularly uh, will know lives in the UK full time during school time with his mom. And then we split holidays. So he, you know, he's in Canada back and forth. He's lived there since he was five, almost five. He was four, almost five. And I got him an iPad. No, I didn't get him an iPad. I got him a, you know, but an Android, whatever the other tablet, whatever tablet thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which he couldn't do quite as much with. He's now got an iPad, you know, so he can, you know, he has his own Apple ID and he has his own, you know, access to email and iMessage and we message back and forth. Um, it definitely is not a substitute for like real in-person connection, but yeah. it's incredible how it keeps the bond and, you know, we share videos yes. back and forth and just kind of keeps the, the memory alive almost. Um, yes. So it's really useful, but then just speaking to him, I was sharing with him um, the latest videos, I think, from our educational platform, because I work for a company called Livid Earth, and it's an amazing educational platform, but then he needs access. He needs to be able to open up access to that web page, and so he has a code that he puts in. Well, he doesn't. He's, he has to go to his mom. She puts the code in, and then the other day, he said to me, oh, I can open up any web page right now. Um, I need to clarify this. So I haven't clarified this with his mom. Um, so I'm not throwing her under the bus because right. I think she has her own uh, within yeah. her home internet. There's a way of having parental controls. So you mm -hmm. limit what that iPad device, whatever has. So I mean, you can expand on that in a second, maybe, but that's, yeah. So I'm interested. Yeah. What kind of filters and parental controls we can put in? Cause I feel like it's hard for a lot of parents who are very busy to do the homework and to yeah. set it up in a way that they know is safe. Um, so yeah, what could you tell us about that? Cause that's something yeah. that I'm very conscious of. Like, how do I do it? Do I do it on his yeah. device? Do I do it on the network? Um, 
That's a great question. And I will say to your personal example of using tech as a way to stay connected to your son makes a lot of sense to me. You're, you're maintaining that existing relationship through the device. And that's awesome. We didn't used to be able to video conference with our relatives, you know, that's really cool. Um, I, here's how I feel about parental controls, parental limits, software, routers. There are many options out there. None of them are um, 100% foolproof, leak proof. And my say, what I always say to parents is I don't recommend parental controls. I recommend parenting. And I say that cheekily because I also really feel like parents are dumped on to solve a massive problem. So I say that with a grain of salt because I really hold the tech companies responsible in my activism, especially that I'm just outraged by what they've asked parents to do. And they love to blame parents and say, this is a parenting problem. It's not our problem, but that's not fair. That being said, if you are giving your children unlimited access to the internet or to devices, here's the thing. The kids are super savvy. They are going to find workarounds. So I have had parents tell me how many hours they spend installing stuff, monitoring stuff, downloading it. They're, the kids are more tech savvy than we are. And I consider myself fairly competent. So the reality is, are we prepared for that? Like, do I want to take on that part-time job of managing all of that? Or is the solution maybe limiting it in the first place, right? Delaying access. So maybe I'm not giving a smartphone to my sixth grader. Maybe I'm waiting until eighth grade, for example, which is what we did in our house. And my kid didn't like that, but he survived. He's fine. He made friends without a smartphone. You know, it's, it's possible. And, you know, that this is exactly it. Your son... I'm sure he has realized that once he's logged into this, he can open a web browser, right? And, and I don't know what parental controls, you know, his mom has. And I'm not even sure I would know what to say because the, 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 the problem is it's using technology to solve a problem that technology has created. And I am not kidding when I say I hear from tech insiders, people who work in the industry have messaged me to say, my kid's screen time is out of control and I've spent hundreds of dollars on apps and they don't work. These are people in the industry and I understand their intentions are good, but they're trying to use tech to solve this problem. So I say sometimes it can be a both and. If you have filters you like, if you have parental controls you like, great, but it does not exempt us from parenting. Parent, there, I always say there's no app for parenting. You are the app. You know, and that has to be the first piece of it. I think that's a good point, actually, because when and again, I'm not comparing my style of parenting with his mom's because I don't really know day to day how much he is or isn't on the iPad. But I know when he's with me and it is different because he's in holiday time. It's not work. Totally. I make sure I take a ton of space away from work to spend with him. Um, mm -hmm. Of course. So who's got the iPad? Who's control it? Me. Where is it? Mm -hmm. He doesn't know. It's usually hidden somewhere. So he can't just grab yep. it. Um, yep. So when he wants to speak to his mom um, and he's got total freedom to do that, but if he wants yep. to FaceTime her, come to me and ask, I'd be like, absolutely. Yep. Uh, unless we're just literally leaving the house to go somewhere. Um, and even then he can have my phone if he needs to, but right. he get, I, the iPad comes out for a specific task. He does that task. I then take it back. And I then yeah. sort of in a way, lock it away, not somewhere yeah. you can just go grab it. And then yeah. the other thing I do, and again, he's not with me all the time, but I'm mindful to look at what's the history on the iPad or like, what mm -hmm. are all the, what are all the pages that are open? Yeah. 
And how yep. much, so if he is going to use it, it's like, okay, here you are. I know you're using it right now because I'm busy for like an hour or whatever. Maybe I'm doing a podcast and then he can be on it and I can check up and then I'm taking it away again. So there's a lot of, yep. yeah. And then I do, I'm very strict, but the thing is, it, and this is where I can, I get it hundred yeah. percent, especially with COVID <laughs> it takes work. Yeah. Because if I want to do it where he, I have to put a code in every single time he opens a page, yeah. that's work for me. But I would exactly. rather do that because he's getting older and you're right. They're no, they're no dummies. They can, mm-hmm. they can search for the porn. I, you know, what do you think about it? So here's a thought. I, and I'm not yeah. going to mention anyone's names, but I know people that have kids that aren't that old. Mm-hmm. When I say that old, maybe eight, eight upwards mm-hmm. who are on Instagram. You can look up porn on Instagram, like hundred percent. Like there's there's a lot of like really yeah. like edgy stuff on Instagram. Do you think? I mean, yeah. that's my one hundred percent. So here, this is it. And again, I even had a parent message me today, and she was like, "I wish I'd waited on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, because when I gave it to my young daughter, I thought it was just a fun picture editing and making silly videos." I had no idea the foul language, the pornography, the innuendos, the drug references. Yeah, here's the thing, those are algorithms. And when you look at one thing or two things, it starts to feed you more of that content. Kids are curious. And I actually always say this to parents. Yeah, there's kids are gonna seek porn. They don't even know what porn is at first. They're asking simple, embarrassing questions like we would like look up penis in the dictionary or something, right? And so that's what they're starting with. But the problem is a dictionary in paper doesn't have an algorithm built in. It's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the one word. And so now the algorithm is going to feed them more of it. And the problem is it gets real dark, real fast. One piece of advice I always give to parents too, is that if you are really thinking about giving your child access to social media, you need to make yourself a fake account first at pretending you're the age they are. And by the way, all of them have age limits, even though most of us don't even know it. I think it's 13 and up for almost all of the major social media ones. So why an eight-year-old has it, technically the parent is lying or the child's lying on behalf of you know the parent or whatever. And that's problematic, right? Are we saying it's okay to lie about your age to get something? That's not a great modeling example. But you know, if we make our, so I, made, I did this, I made a fake TikTok, uh, not TikTok, sorry. I made a fake Snapchat account. I'm 43. I pretended I was 15. I put in a fake birth date, but my real email address, I actually ended up writing an article about it and I can send you the link. It's on my medium page. I got porn within 10 seconds. I didn't even search for anything. I just went to their equipment, whatever. It's like their discover algorithm. So you just tap, you tap it and it's based on my age essentially. And I wanted, I contrasted that experience with what I heard in the U.S. at the congressional testimonies uh, hearings this fall where, you know, Instagram and YouTube, all these tech execs were testifying. And I have a direct quote from that testimony of them saying, Snapchat is, everything on Snapchat is appropriate for 13 and up. And so I ask you, parents, (laughs) look at what I found and tell me, would you just show this to your 13-year-old? I mean, my answer is absolutely not. That's not what I would consider developmentally appropriate for a 13-year-old. And so this is the problem. We have different standards, perhaps, in some ways, you know, different families have different rules, but none of that was even like close to being okay in my mind. So, you know, it's easy to get distracted. And I think there's a lot of fear mongering out there. Yes, there is awful stuff on the internet. And yeah, there's some good stuff too. But again, you, as you're, as you're talking, like, you know, you're, 
looking at your son's history, talk to him about it. Let's, can, or, or even before you look at it, just say, show me, just show me what you've been doing. I'm just curious. What are kids interested in? Which games are you playing? Tell me why you like this YouTube video. Like the dialogue and the relationship and the connecting piece, that's irreplaceable. That's what's going to keep your kids safe because your kid is going to see stuff that, that, that makes them uncomfortable, that embarrasses them, that's scary. And what do we want them to do? We want them to come talk to us. If we have a relationship with them where they're afraid to tell us, you're right. They, they are going to go way farther down that rabbit hole than we want them to. So we have to create that space for them to be comfortable enough to tell us when they screw it up and, and innocently too. I mean, again, I'm not even blaming kids. It's just there. It's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a good circle back to like, the parenting being, being yes. the center stage of this whole technology debate. Cause yeah. yeah, you know, another one that came up for my kid where he told me he had found some scary stuff um, was, and I think he, he was in the UK with his mom and he could do that here too. Um, so I'm not, you know, in any way putting, casting any shadow over her because he found he was, when you have a smart TV, you can access YouTube and all these other yes. apps like Netflix and Prime and everything else. So he was on the YouTube searching for something or clicking. Yeah. And I think it was like a sharks, something like sharks popped up. I think it was like Megadon shark, like a really scary image of a shark jumping out of the water. That was all it was, I think, that really freaked him out and kind of, yeah. you know, to set him off to maybe potentially have nightmares and such. We have the same thing here. I haven't figured out how to do deal with that other than yeah. don't leave him in the room too long on his own, to yeah. be honest. Like I can't yeah. figure out. Maybe there's a way, but our YouTube is set for adult because we use YouTube to watch stuff. I know. Yeah. yeah I don't know. It's That's tricky. tricky I mean, YouTube is not a good place for kids. Even YouTube kids, I don't recommend. I, I also, I tell parents never YouTube alone, never Google alone for kids. Uh, and and yeah. But the problem is you're at, it's work. This is it. It's like, so to me, if parents can't or won't or don't want to do the work, then don't give them unlimited access. Don't yeah. give them the device and walk away. And there are, are alternatives. Like, I, you know, I think, for example, live at dot earth or, you know, pre-vetted sites that your kids can, you know, it's safe content within it. And that's only if you're turning to tech for the time that the kids get, right? Like I would love to offer that there's non-tech based options that are really great for kids to occupy themselves. We seem to have forgotten a lot of those because tech is ubiquitous, but yeah. you know, a happy medium, and I recommend this all the time is audio. You know, audio is a very safe form of digital because there isn't the visual, you know, the shark thing, the vision. My son had the same thing. He loved trains and Lego trains. And it, he was four, we were watching a YouTube video about a Lego train. And then he was like, I wanna watch a Lego train crash because he was four. And then we looked that up. Well, guess what the next thing in the algorithm is? It's not Lego train crash, it's real train crashes. I didn't want my four, and it happened so fast. If I hadn't been sitting there, it would have been seconds before he was watching real trains crashing. So, you know, this is the thing. It's like, unless we're sitting right there, it's just not for kids, regardless of what the executives tell you. It's not yeah. designed for children. It's designed for profit. And that's, you know, the sad right. truth. Yeah. yeah, it's tough because where I struggle is that, well, I don't know if I would say it's a struggle, but like, you know, one challenge for sure is that he's really, my boy, my eldest, um, although both boys really, they're into skiing, they're into skateboarding, yeah. they're into biking, and there are channels 
I want to say by kids, but like very certainly some are kid presented. Um, others are like adults that are aiming it at kids and like braille skateboarding is awesome. Super imaginative, creative, gets yep. you to see some trick ideas and then you can go out and do it. Yep. Um, same with the biking. Oh, let's watch this biking moves. Let's learn how to, I don't know, go around a burn, uh, you know, on a downhill track. And then you can go out and practice it. But yeah. of course, pretty quickly, you've got, well, I mean, there's a negative to this too, of not being like negative stuff, but they, it's incredible how much, how far the kids can go now. Cause they've seen what's possible. Like they've seen yes. the backflips, then yes. they take that to the trampoline and it's right. amazing what they can do so fast, which yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's healthy. I mean, it's pretty neat. Well, it's a good point. Is it, are they developmentally, like, are they putting in the same number of hours of prep time that the kid making the video did? That's a really, really good point. Cause you're right. They don't see that. They no. don't see the kids with the huge pump track in their backyard by a dad right. that was probably a professional motocross guy himself right. who has right. a, you know, a digger well, and he can create all these amazing yeah. stunts. Right. And then you get into this is the aspirational problem of YouTube is that you ask lots. There was some study a couple of years ago where they asked kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. And it was a YouTube star. And this is again, this is several years ago. And a dad told me a couple of weeks ago that his son, he said, a random YouTuber that my son is obsessed with has more influence on my kid than I do. And my, the question I've been asking is, are we OK with that? Is that what we want? And again, I know people are like, well, there's some good stuff. You know, there is good content. There's happy messages out there. Sure. You sit with your kid and find those and do it together. I, you can do YouTube as much as you want. But the reality is we're not doing that. And, and I get it. I understand what it's like to be a working parent, have kids, uh, you know, you, you sometimes triage things, but then there's an opportunity. You say, okay, this is not parenting in my values, or this is something, this is the exception rather than the rule but right now I'm going to give you some time on the iPad. But then even within that, we set limits. We say YouTube's off limits or we don't have a browser on the iPad or whatever the limit is, you know, we get to decide that. And I think sometimes parents, I know we feel guilty. I know we feel judged. I know we also know that if we're saying we need to watch what their kids are doing, we have to look at our own screen use. And there's a little bit of, um, you know, humble crow eating that has to happen. And, but that's it. That's where it starts. And that's okay to start right now. It's okay to say, gosh, I am spending way too much time on Instagram. And I, even me personally, for example, I did this yesterday. I decided not to look at Twitter for 24 hours because that's kind of where I get a lot of my news. I have been highly anxious and stressed for the last week because I've been looking at Twitter nonstop. Me, I know this. I know what it's doing to my brain. I know what it's doing to my body. So I was like, I'm going to just take a break. I'm going to see what happens. And again, I, you know, I have a fully formed prefrontal cortex, so I can fight my own, you know, <laughs> internal system to some degree, unlike a child. And you know what I did yesterday? I read an entire book. It was some silly mystery book, but I just needed to get my brain away from it. And guess what? My anxiety was a lot lower and I, you know, causation isn't correlation. I know that, but it was a very great experience for me to see, hmm, this does affect my mood, right? So parents, and what a great teachable moment. I get to say to my kids, you know, hey, I tried this thing and look what happened. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I should, I should have the phone taken off me before I go into the bathroom. 
do you know what i mean like it's just that's where i scroll and through instagram and you know getting like hey come out of there it's dinner time i'm like oh yeah totally but i'm i think like you it's well it's awareness as a parent is like i you know that i certainly hear that message um and then yeah being curious about our own use of social media and how it impacts us so i've done the same i've i use instagram but i kind of sometimes i'll have three weeks where i've just I just can't be bothered to post anything. I'm not very good at that in terms of like creating a platform for myself because it's just not my job. I like talking to people and putting this content out there. But the idea of being sucked into social media 24 seven, it has its purpose, but you're right. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of dark news out there, whether it be pandemic, wars, whatever, right? Exactly. And our kids, and then it makes us less effective parents. You know, I mean- it's true. It's that cheesy oxygen mask. You know, you put yours on first before you assist your passenger. That's so cliche about parenting, but it is so true. You know, if I'm not taking care of myself, I am much more likely to yell at my kids. I am much less patient with my kids. So it, it, but then again, you go back to living your life out loud and I, and what an opportunity that is as a parent, it's, it's free. It's easy to do. You don't need any special skills or tools. You just talk out loud about what you're doing and how it makes you feel. And then your kids start to put these things together, right? So that, you know, oh gosh, mom's saying Instagram makes her feel bad. Like when she looks at it for too long, that's hmm, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. They might not, they're not going to articulate that, but they might be, it's in the back of their head. They're hearing us and they're watching us. hundred percent. Like they, yeah, I do. I'm very aware of that. And I hadn't necessarily thought about this in terms of technology, um, but yeah, they watch what we do and they very much mirror everything that's before them. Uh-huh. So if we're uh-huh. on staring at our phones all the time, you know, that's going to rub off. So I'm pretty, yeah. I mean, I'm not the best. I definitely do it. Um, but yeah, I'm aware of it and I'm working. I mean, I'm not on Facebook so much anymore. And uh, Instagram is I, I dip in and out. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm interested on in like, so what about developmentally? What's going on with the kids at a yeah. younger age? And like, how has technology impacted them? Like, to, to, you Yeah. Know? Yeah, there's a lot of great research and experts out there who can speak to this far more in depth. But generally speaking, it interferes with good executive function development. And I'm talking about excessive screen time. Again, I always say I'm not anti-tech, I'm tech intentional. And I mean... A little bit's okay and a lot's too much. And it looks really different for each kid, each family, different age groups. And so, you know, big grain of salt here. But uh, one example for for younger children, I've had people say to me, oh, my kid loves building with blocks. It's amazing to see what they make in Minecraft. And I think, hmm, yes, Minecraft can do some, you can do, my daughter loves it. Some very cool things can happen in there. It is not the same thing as building with blocks in the 3D world from a brain development perspective. And there is a huge difference between tactile, three-dimensional learning where we're physically touching something and building it and learning about physics and engineering by building blocks and crafting something in a two-dimensional world. So that's one thing I think right off the bat, like parents maybe don't always understand that. It's not the same thing. For reading examples, you know, it makes me really angry when schools use online reading tools to teach reading. And I have a huge caveat again, for children with learning disabilities, sometimes that is the necessary tool and I am not speaking to that. But for teaching reading, it does not require an iPad or a screen. You know, again, tactile hands-on experience. I, I always think of this example of like, 
even a Kindle. And, and, and parents always ask me about, was well, it okay to read on a Kindle? It Kindle is great. A, I was just about to ask you about Kindle. Kindle is Good great job. for travel. It's great for people like me, for example, sometimes my, the vision, the print is too small. So I need, I like that being able to enlarge it, but here's what's problematic about a Kindle and why I personally don't love reading it. I was used to teach seventh grade English and I would give my students the new book, whatever we were reading. And I would make them open the book and smell it because I love the smell of a new book. But in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a tactile experience. I'm getting them to engage their senses, flip through the pages. They had to write their name on the outside. We would mark it all up. You know, it was part of this learning process. And when you read a book and you remember something previously that you read and you want to go back and read it and you go, gosh, I can't remember what page number it was on, but I know it was the lower left-hand corner. Do you remember, have you ever had that experience? Like you kind of remember where on the page it was. That's called location memory. On a Kindle, you don't get that because you don't have a page memory. It's all a, a continuous scroll and you can change the font and the size so the pages change. And so. Again, we lose something sometimes. And again, there is a time and a place for Kindle, like it's fine, but that's another example. You know, I talk a lot about executive function skills, which are the skills that are built in our prefrontal cortex. So emotion regulation, planning, organization, cognitive flexibility. When kids have ADHD diagnoses, it's often their executive function systems that are impacted, so adults too. But this part of our brain isn't fully developed till we're well into our twenties or thirties. And so when we're using, what is fascinating to me is that excessive use of screens and the behavior that comes from that, those symptoms mimic a lot of the symptoms for ADHD. And so we've had an uptick in diagnosis of ADHD in the country in the last, I don't know, decade or two. Is it, and again, I'm not saying that it's caused only by screen use. I think there's a lot of factors going into what's happening, but it is interesting to me that there's so much of a, an overlap. And I just, I know personally watching my own children after being on a video game for too long or staring at a screen for too long, they are very dysregulated. And so that has to be impacting children, right? Like, and so then therefore the more they're spending doing it, the more they're impacting their their executive function and their regulation systems. So there, there's good research out there and I'm happy to link some to you too for the show notes. But um, generally speaking, again, my rule is being tech intentional. So it's all about balance. If your kid's playing on the iPad a little bit here and there or watching shows, and again, family movies, I don't even count that as like screen time. It, but one screen one family, like it's not mom and dad on their phones while we watch a movie, right? There's a big difference. But so like, even that's okay because you're, you're connecting as a family, but is your kid doing outside time? Is your kid reading real books? Is your kid playing in person with friends? You know, those ticking all those boxes and then some screen time, fine. But uh, I think unfortunately it's been the other way. It's screen time first. Yeah, good balance. It's funny you yeah. say that. I will mention that last night uh, there was, a, what was the show? There was a show on, it was a movie. I can't remember what it was, but um, I was just getting bored. I'm going through like, a, I'm too twitchy to watch a movie or a show. We just watched, yeah. I'm not kidding, six seasons of Downton Abbey, like one a night, <laughs> for like however long. Got obsessed. It's really well written. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> no judgment. But I think now I'm just like I need a break. I want to like yeah. I don't know, I'm just twitching. So I'm st 
I reached for my phone and actually yeah. my, wife, my wife said, what if you're going to read, look on your phone? I said, no, no, you can watch it. That's fine. She's like, yeah, but I don't want to because the yeah. whole point is to watch it with you. And you're right that it's the one time the kids get really cuddly and you'll get some popcorn yeah. and you'll snuggle up. Yep. So I'm a yep. fan of the family movie. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. What is there? And I feel like I've Googled this before, but like, say, is there some guidance around zero to first two years, one hour yeah. or no technology uh, from two to five? You, like, is there any kind of guidance on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the US. So the American Academy of Pediatrics does put out recommendations and they just updated them a little bit because I think in the pandemic, you know, initially it was no screen time birth to two. But then people were like, well, what about FaceTiming with relatives, especially now that we're so isolated from them? And in my recommendation was always, that's the exception. Of course, you have like, there are people having babies and not meeting relatives for a year or more. Of course, you should be Skyping with them or FaceTiming with them. Um, and I would always joke, I, I doubt that you're doing that for multiple hours a day, right? Like every day. So that's where I go again, it's that little bit's okay. I think the AAP and other orgs, the challenge with issuing recommendations is that it's if you make them so restrictive that parents feel that they're only going to fail, parents don't do anything. And so they end up erring a little bit on this like sort of middle recommendation. There's a group called everyschool.org. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with them. They're wonderful. There are some colleagues of mine um, and they've put together something called the EdTech Triangle. And I recommend this all the time. They're heavily research oriented, thorough, um, like perfectionistic about details. So which is why I like them so much because I know it's good stuff. And they do this for education-based or technology, ed, sorry. They do this for educational technology, like how schools should assess how they use tech in the classroom. I actually think it's applicable to how we as parents use it at home too. Because one of the things I say, and I say this all the time too, is that not all technology is created equal, right? Like FaceTiming with your son in London or in England is very different than like, you know, Roblox for three hours by yourself, right? So talking about how it's different matters, right? So we can do that in our families talking about it. And they have this, it's a little bit like the food pyramid, which is problematic, I know, and has changed over the years, but there are some forms of tech that they that are truly transformative. I mean, again, look, you getting to be able to stay in communication regularly with your own child or the fact that we can do this, you know, international podcast interviewing, right? Like there are some really wonderful, wonderful things, but just like the, the sugar and the sweets of the food pyramid, it's the stuff we should do the high, like the least, even though it's like high reward, right? Or it tastes really good. And then the problem is, and this was, you know, schools are doing this too. There's a lot of tech for tech's sake, you know, teaching reading on the iPad because the school paid for them, not because it's what's actually best for children, right? Or best for learning. And so, you know, that's a really great tool for, for teachers, but also for parents, I think, to just start to, how do I sort of suss it out? And, and they do put time recommendations. And what you'll notice is that like, I think virtually every age range that they give you starts at zero because no one needs it, right? Like, I know I might get people who push back and say, well, yeah, now in this day and age, but there are ways to live without it, you know? And, and it's, we just have to, we have to work a little harder to find them perhaps. I am I'm, I'm hopeful that the pendulum's gonna swing back a little bit, you know, that in the next five to 10 years, people are gonna go, 
well, that was a big experiment that we do not want to keep pursuing, right? Like that was a lot. And unfortunately, most kids are going to be grown up by that, right? So it's like, I'm trying to change it in the short term, but also looking to that long-term change. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder how, now, if we get this right, the Y generation, is it the Y generation or the first oh, generation yeah. to be raised with iPhones? I think it's the Oh, that's y. a good, it might be, or is it more or Gen is it Z? I, I generation. I don't, I don't remember. Not oh, Gen Z. Gen Z's millennials, and they weren't. They were raised without. No, nope, you're right. Right, they're but the ones I having babies. Yeah. I think it's the Y generation, or maybe I generation. But it'll be interesting to see them becoming parents. Yes. And yes. Coming through that, you know, whether that yes. it's just a part of ingrained into their existence that we have to have this thing, because yes. there is talk of these digital IDs. Um, I think with the, you know, you've got the uh, what do you call it. Yeah, you know, with the vaccine pass, yeah, the passport, things like that, everything. And when you travel on a plane, you've got all the booking. There's just there's almost like it seems like we're building a society where we need yeah. to have an iPhone just to have access to scan. Yeah, or going know. to a restaurant, the menus even are QVR. Yes, whatever. Totally. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. So I feel like it is a battle that we've got in a way. But I so there's two thoughts I have in my mind. Yeah, I was like. One, if when, depending on what happens with my boy overseas, if he ever lives back here again or what, but if I could, he's the reason I have a, a smartphone, 100%. Yeah. I would yeah. happily have a flip phone, an old school yeah. kind of phone, yeah. because I don't really need out and about to do Instagram yep. and such. It's nice for right. the camera. It is nice yep. for the camera. Um, yep. So I would wonder why on earth are parents for the kids, when it comes to a safety issue, I can see mm -hmm. kids having a phone. I'm surprised that parents aren't saying you can have a flip phone so you can text or you can call me. Yeah. Like what so is the, what is the argument? Yeah. I just don't okay. understand it actually. So there, yeah, we, that's what we did actually was we did a flip phone. My son had to do predictive texting, you know, where you text, yeah. <laughs> it takes way longer. I loved it. Um, there are some other brand in between phones out there. And I have a lot of colleagues who do affiliate links with them and I don't. And part of that is because, I think it doesn't, again, it doesn't exempt the parents from the parenting piece. And I, I worry that by sending a message that this is like a good starter phone that we are somehow supposed to give kids phones. We're not, no one made that rule. This is like a five-year-old problem. So of course there's gonna be other industries popping up to tell us, oh, well, here's an alternative. I'm glad they exist. And maybe that is the way things are going. The other thing I would push back on is that I know parents say it's a safety thing, but, and there's a big but, do you know what is on the internet? <laughs> that is not more safe than them not having a phone if they get lost. Because the reality is everybody has a phone. So if they get lost, they just have to ask somebody, can you help me, right? And again, I know different communities have different experiences with people and safety and all of that, but it really frustrates me because I know that the argument is, well, if my kid, and I, and I have family tell me this, like our kid, her, her daughter got lost, separated from her friends on the ski slope and she didn't have a phone. And that's why they cracked down and decided to get her one. And I said, well, it's funny because there's no, there was no middle decision there. Like, did she know how to ask ski, ski patrol or how to identify ski patrol? Did she know her parents' phone number? Like this, how many kids know their parents' phone numbers right now? I still remember numbers from when I was a kid. Like I can tell you them off my head right now kids aren't being asked to learn them. So then there's, it becomes this like displacement again for these skills that they really should have. And 
the internet's not safe. There's lots of unsafe stuff out there. And I, yeah, porn is one of it. And, and part of the porn piece is the predata- predatory stuff. Like kids are getting groomed inside apps and games. And like, so don't tell me that it's safer, right? Oh, it's a yeah, different yeah, yeah. kind of safety, but it's yeah. not, it shouldn't make us feel better. I think it, that's the problem. It lets parents put, let their guard down because they can reach me if there's a problem. But the problem's not out there. The problem is now in the phone. And do your kids know what to do? Do they know how to reach you <laughs> in that sense? Yeah, it comes back to the importance as well. And I think about this a lot about education is one thing in a school environment, you know, in your academics mm-hmm. and, you know, your ABCs, one, two, threes, whatever, but it's the life skills that they need to survive in the yes. world. And so you're right in a way it's like, well, you know, where are their kids? Where's A to, what does A to B look like when they're, you know, before they, they leave school and come home, where are they? What are they doing? Yeah. If they have a phone. It's like, well, we've got a phone. We just text them. But yeah. you're kind of, you're detaching from, you know, I think some parental responsibility potentially there may be parents screaming at the, screaming at the, at the Spotify app or whatever they're listening to this on <laughs> right now being like, are you kidding me? Of course they're going to have a phone like, you know, but, but, but also did we like, here's the thing. No, did, no, no, we didn't. What did we do? We went out and our parents had to trust that when we, they said our curfew was 11 PM that we would be back. And if we weren't, we had to talk about it, but that's, there's something so important about them trusting us to do that. And did we screw it up? Of course, but that's what teenagers do. And by giving them a phone, we are taking away the opportunity for kids to practice these skills and for us to show that we can trust their own judgment and ability to get out of a situation. When they have a phone, it becomes the crutch. It becomes the solution rather than their own internal moral compass, their own judgment, their gut. We, why do we want to put kids like that out into the world as adults? That's not a good thing. Yeah. And I will say our ski hill here, there is no cell coverage. Awesome. So good luck giving your kid a phone and thinking they're going to be like, you know, like it's again, so you have to teach you either, you're either with them or you're giving them, making sure they have a buddy system. Yes. Who'd ask for help? Yes. Communication. How do you ask for help? Where is the, where is the nearest ski patrol hut? Where's yep. the lift? How do I navigate around? You know, there's all of these pieces there. Um, yep. And so it's not even an option. So yeah, so if yep. you take all of the skills they need to survive on a ski hill and put that to a town, you'd be better off than just giving them yep. a phone and just setting them off into the wilds, really. Um, yeah, and, and in a lot of ways that models skills that then later you can feel better about giving them a phone because they've demonstrated they know how to manage without. I mean, that to me is the test. And how yeah. to make good choices, you know? Yes. Is this a yes. good choice for me? Um, yeah. I do. Yeah. I like what you said too about the opportunity. Um, I think it came up, but the, I like the opportunity that tech gives us in a way to connect with our kids. We, you mentioned it earlier and I think I did live it earth, which is where yeah. I work um, locally here for a tech company. So it's like, yes, yeah, an educational platform. So it's great because what I love about it is that we can sit down either me and my son or us as a family watch one of the feature shows. And then we have a whole host of challenges that we can then, you know, like art. Sometimes we get the artwork out downstairs half an hour before dinner, but mm-hmm. we just make something up. I don't know, draw a house or we do this. But with this online feature show that we've got, we've got all these challenges that we can like dip into, which is really great. So it gives us an opportunity to connect and engage. You know, I get to engage with my kids and it could be skateboarding, it could be other things, but it's, it's yeah. a way of coming together 
you know, with the screen, but really to, to encourage us to get actually get off the screen. Yeah. In a weird way. Yeah. I loved that about it. My daughter and I did one of the lessons and that it immediately oh, turned yeah. into an art project. So yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and technology can exist for good, you know, I think, but you know, again, it's, it's about being intentional. So there are a million options out there and, and the trick is going to be not making parents feel like they have to use them all, but to pick one or two, the intentional ones, you know, this speaks to me and my values that this is, this works and parents have to say, no, I mean, this is, again, I keep, I don't want this to sound like it's just parents. Cause again, I'm so angry at the tech industry, <laughs> but parents do have to say no. And, and I can give you an example, even this weekend, my son who's 14, almost 14, has a phone, has some friends that we live walking distance to a school and they had the school dance after school Friday, a couple hours after school got out. And so they came over to our house to hang out before going to the dance together. And, you know, he could have asked if they could play video games. And I might've even said yes, because it was Friday and he was with his buddies. He didn't ask. He actually pulled out a board game. And this was like four other friends and him, eighth graders. And they played this board game and I took a photo. And what's interesting is there's one or two of the kids has like a phone out or an iPad, but they're maybe playing something else. But these other kids are sitting there playing a board game. And I just felt like, okay, this isn't hundred percent perfect, but it's good enough. And that's my motto is like parenting right now. It's good enough is good enough. It's 80% of the time we're doing what we want, living with our values. And that's what I saw. And it was so validating and made me feel like, and it's good. I always joke I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so for me to be successful, to feel success with that 80% there was huge. That was huge win. Yeah. And, and I, we have to remember that. Like it has to be okay. Like we're going to give in a little bit and there's going to be compromise. But man, it was, it was exciting. I think it's good. Good, good is good enough. I 100% yeah. agree with that because it's easy to beat yourself up and we're not perfect. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Let's, I can edit this bit too. Um, let's pitch you. Like, okay. so what, how can you, like, how does Emily help? Like, what could we come to you for? Um, Cause it's been great back and forth. It's, it's kind of nice in a way, just to have someone to lean on and go like, pull your hair out and for you to be like, okay, this is where you need to go back to. Yeah. How can, yeah. What kind of help can you get? Can you offer? Well, I just launched my first round of, becoming a tech intentional parent course. And it's going awesome. I got eight people signed up. So it's an ideal group size. And it's, I am going to run it again in September, starting in September, and I'm figuring out the dates for that. But the course is designed for parents who are ready to become more tech intentional, and who want to put in the work that goes into being a tech intentional parent. And I spread it out over 12 weeks, it's eight sessions, but with the intention of, it takes time to build habits. And if I were to sell you a, you know, a DIY 90 minutes, you'll be a tech intentional parent, it wouldn't work. And I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be within my values because it takes time to, to learn what we need to learn as parents, but then to also turn around and impact our families. So I'm really excited about that. I am, it's, What's really moving in this group is to hear from other parents who feel so alone. Like they think they're the only ones who are really fighting all the time or struggling all the time. And listening to each other in these live group classes, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. So that's huge. Um, so I do that. 
I'm also available to do school presentations. So I actually love talking to school communities. Um, it's often through like a PTA or parent community will bring me in as a parent educator and do a talk. And I do surveys of the school community anonymously if the school wants, and I present that data back to them. And it's actually really valuable because then they get to see, oh, other parents think like I am, or other parents really view this this way, or this many kids actually have a smartphone, right? Then you can go home and take the numbers to your kid. Everybody in my grade has a smartphone. Nope, only 65% do, right? You actually have the data. So I do that. Um, and then, you know, workshops, professional development, corporate talks are all on the table as well. And then I, I can do high level private coaching, but I really prefer the the group. So that's another option too, is if you have a group of like-minded or friend group, parent group, mom group that wants to do that, that is something that could be really cool and powerful to do with, you know, your own peers. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's, yeah. I really like the group work in terms of like getting the peer support, like you say, to know that you're not alone in the struggle, yeah. which is very real. Yep. 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 It's awesome. been very powerful. I didn't, quite know what to expect coming out of COVID. Everybody's so fried. And it, it was very powerful within the first session to see how much parents were connecting with each other on the struggles around this. And these are well-resourced, well-intentioned, like parents who had had limits, you know, this is not, I, it was just shocking in a, in a good way. I mean, to see that this is a hard fight. <laughs> Emily, so good to chat again. And um, you've actually talking to you has highlighted a few things that I know I need to be mindful of, not just me Instagramming on the toilet, but also (laughs) that, but also the fact that um, YouTube, yeah, it's crazy what they can access very quickly Um, on YouTube. And that's an easy one to let slip because of all the cool stuff that is on there around biking and skiing and, you know, all the outdoor stuff that we do, but Yeah. yeah, it's a very real issue. Fortunately, yeah. I'm not there yet with the phone um, problem, but I know it's going to happen, and I just dread it. Actually, I actually yeah. dread it because the other yeah. the other issue too is you have you have to have both parents on the same. Uh huh. Right. I, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I hear that all the time. That even within the same household, the parents aren't always on the same page, and so yeah, it's it's work, and and it's worth the effort to figure it out, to present, you know, I hear the way you talk about your, your firstborn's mom, very, I hear partnership and I hear wanting to support each other, even from different households. And that matters a lot. And I think for kids to see parents working together is really important. Dual household or single household. It matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy, but yeah, I think you you have to be supportive in that sense. And you know, the other thing I would say too, and another reason um, that you would be a great resource is to come up with a plan before it's a problem. Yeah. It's easy to leave it, but actually the discussion, the earlier those discussions and the agreements between parents start, the easier it's going to be when it actually comes up. Which is why I want to reach the parents of younger kids. So actually, I should have even mentioned this. I have a free resource on my website. It's called, um, it's a masterclass. And it's also a little free digital handbook called The Seven Ingredients of a Tech Intentional Family, I think is the title. And it's basically when I, having worked with all these parents, what are the sort of seven things these families do? The ones who find success kind of managing screen time or less stress around screen time what are the qualities that I see the most often? So that's a free resource on my website at the very top. You can't miss it. So, you know, that's, that's another great place to check it out. And 
I also have a YouTube channel, which I know the irony of being on social media and having a YouTube channel. I am there, but I have these um, little short tech intentional tip videos and they're all like one or two minutes, very short. I think there's 15 right now. And they're just quick and easy little things you can do. Like when we talked about living your life out loud is one of that. So that's another great resource too. So please feel free to check those out too. But yeah, great. Emily, thank you so much. for Thank you. And, yeah. Um, thanks for having me. You're welcome. A pleasure to be here. Good luck with everything. Keep me posted. Thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.